you know, when you think of a scientist, you think of someone that's boring. And I'm like, this is perfect because yeah. that is exactly what people think about when you say, oh, I'm an engineer or I'm a chemist and things like that. They have a certain stigma. And so I really like that they chose that title because it's like, no, scientists look all different kind of ways. There's different genders. There's no one way that scientists looks. So that's what the title really means to me. It's like, you may look at me and think I'm not the science type, but I actually am, so. Starring in a recent documentary featured at the Tribeca Film Festival, Dr. Sierra Civils is a nuclear engineer, elementary school math mentor, and almost pastry chef who became the first black woman to earn a PhD from the University of Michigan in nuclear engineering. Yes, I'm officially in bucket list career heaven with this one. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Krista Laurie. Sierra now works at Johns Hopkins in their applied physics laboratory. Intimidating, you would think, but she's so approachable and open about what it's like to be a black woman trailblazer in STEM, especially how she handled it when people doubted her. You will love this career narrative as much as I do. Let's listen. Sierra, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast with me and welcome to Bucket List Careers. Thank you for having me. This is my pleasure. Congratulations on the documentary you're featured in, recently premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. You've got a lot of exciting things going on for you right now. (laughs) But let's be honest, you were a star before this. I mean, maybe not famous, but you are a rock star and we're going to talk about why and go through your journey. I'm really excited about it. What led you down the path of becoming a nuclear engineer? How did it all get started for you? I've told this story a couple of times, but, you know, I really was interested in being a chef, a pastry chef to be specific. And I was in a chemistry class and my chemistry teacher really felt like, you know, I'm talented and I could be in a different field. And so he was the first person to kind of say, oh, have you ever thought about engineering? Maybe you want to be a chemical engineer. I looked into that, decided to make the transition. And when I got to MIT, you know, instead of doing chemical engineering, one of my classmates was like, hey, you seem like you're more interested in things at an atomic level. Maybe you want to do nuclear engineering. So that's kind of how I, a short version of how I made that transition. But give me a little bit more of the long version, because that is quite a jump from maybe maybe a pastry chef to a nuclear engineer. I mean, and kudos to you. It's so awesome. So how did your family react? Was it hard to navigate the fear that may have been involved? What was it like? Okay, so that's a good question. So first, for me, the reason why it sparked my interest is in high school, I didn't take a lot of maybe the courses that I should have taken to be prepared. Mm -hmm. So when I was in high school, I was like, I'm not going to take physics because why do I need physics? I'm going to be a chef. Yeah. So when I made the transition, oh, and I think I want to do engineering, I took a community college course. And in that class, it was about, it was like a history of physics. So there was like no math. But in that class, I learned about antimatter. And so that really sparked my interest. Like, oh, there's things that you can't see that do all these cool things. They make energy. And so for me, I was like, oh, this is so cool. That's kind of how I got interested in nuclear. And so my family, they were always like, you're smart, but we really care. Like, we want you to do whatever makes you happy. 
Right. If you want to be a chef, you be a chef. If you want to be a teacher, be a teacher. If you want to be an engineer, be an engineer. As long as you excel at it, as long as you're good at it, that's kind of what they push. Which is awesome to have that kind of support system. So would you say that that chemistry teacher, though, was sort of like a pivotal person in your decision? I mean, yeah, he was the one that highlighted engineering for me. Right. Like I said, I was good in math and science. I had a over 4.0 GPA in high school, but I just didn't know what to do with it. Right. It was like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. My parents had always taught me to do well in school. So that's what I was doing. Well, it's an amazing pivot for you. You decided to go for it and get your PhD at the University of Michigan. Yeah. What were the challenges you faced there? I mean, trying to climb the ladder in such a traditionally male-dominated field. Any stories you can share with us from that time period? As far as like classmates and things go, I did experience some challenges with that, you know, because Mm. I think that unfortunately when people see a Black woman in these, like you said, male-dominated fields, they just think less of you. I don't know a better way to say that. Hmm. And so they're always... Like you you actually felt that. You felt that vibe. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There were times where, Hmm. for instance, I was a TA of a class and I, you know, I'm grading and and people would ask, you know how you get your grades back and people want to debate, oh, their grade and they want you to change it and things like that. Totally. And so I'm explaining, well, this is why you got the grade that you got and here's how you get to the answer. And it's and the student was like, no, I don't believe you. And so they took it to the, the faculty member who was a white man. And he literally said the exact same thing that I said, but because he said it, it was okay. But when I said it, there was a challenge to it. So I experienced stuff like that all the time. (laughs) And how did you get past that? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you had to dig deep a bit. Did you find some, some good friends that helped you navigate it? Of course. You took the words right out of my mouth. I had a really good support system starting at MIT all the way to Michigan. In Michigan, it was kind of different because MIT is a smaller school. So it was easier to make connections with people in undergrad. It's just different. You you guys are taking classes. But when you get in grad school, you're in the lab 24-7. And so you don't see people as much. And Michigan is a big school. So, I mean, it's like three different campuses. But for me, coming from MIT and going to a place like Michigan, where you're scaling up the number of people, but the amount of minorities is the same. So for me, it was very important to find people that looked like me and shared my experiences. And so I had a group of girlfriends. We were all getting our PhDs, Black women getting our PhDs, and we just stuck together. I think that's everything, right? But you were the first to graduate from University of Michigan. With that degree. To get your PhD. Yes, yes. With that particular degree. So amazing, amazing. And then, so then what came next? I know you now work at Johns Hopkins in the Applied Physics Laboratory, which sounds super cool. So walk us through that time frame and what is some of the most exciting stuff you're working Ooh, okay. on now? What really lights you so, up? I've asked you a lot of stuff, like <laughs> all in one long question. So unpack it for us. All the work that I do at APL is, is centered around um, radiation, how that interacts with matter. Hmm. A lot of that stuff is fun. I just can't go into a lot of details about it. Yeah, and you will lose me. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just going to admit it right now. <laughs> a lot of that stuff is fun, but I also really enjoy outreach and, and STEM yeah. and talking to students and things like that. And, you know, we were talking about this idea of having support systems. So in a similar vein, I'm at ATL in a place that it's just engineering. So there's not many Black women here doing similar things. But I'm lucky because I do have two other Black women here at APL that are nuclear engineers that were the first in their programs as well. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So the three of us, we get together. We're actually having lunch next week. So Jamie and Marina, they also work here and we get together. So I, throughout my journey, I've been really focused and it's really important for me to find support systems find places because I think like you said when you when you come into these situations where it's difficult or you're the only one you want to be able to vent or you know bounce your ideas off of someone you want to be able to do that in a safe space for sure and you don't work on projects with them necessarily but you can just share ideas oh we all do Yep, we all do separate things here. We're all nuclear engineers, but the projects are completely different. That's just really inspiring. And speaking of which, let's discuss the documentary, Not the Science Type. My favorite thing to talk about these days. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've had just a couple of questions about it, but it is such a cool title, Not the Science Type. I love it. I want to know what it means to you. I didn't even know that that was going to be the title until like the last minute. And so I really enjoyed that, especially if you watch the trailer and you see Jessica talk about, oh, you know, when you think of a scientist, you think of someone that's boring. And I'm like, this is perfect because that is exactly what people think about when you say, oh, I'm an engineer or I'm a chemist and things like that. They have a certain stigma. And so I really like that they chose that title because it's like, no, scientists look all different kind of ways. There's different genders. There's no one way that a scientist looks. So that's what the title really means to me. It's like, you may look at me and think I'm not the science type, but I actually am. So Right. And just like bashing those stigmas right off the bat. Yep. What do you think is most powerful about the film? Oh, you know, there's a lot. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, we could go on. This this podcast could last an hour, but if you had to narrow it down. I think it's the stories, right? I think it's this idea of empowering the people that are watching it to show, like, you can go through these different challenges, right, and still come out doing something great, mm-hmm, being sure. successful in this field that is challenging, but it's fun. And for me, it was more about showing Black girls that you're capable of being in these fields. And, you know, a lot of people, I've gotten a lot of feedback. People are saying, I'm so glad, like even my MIT friends, especially, have been saying like, oh, I'm so glad that you talked about your struggles at MIT because people don't necessarily understand that. And people don't, they think, oh, you went to MIT, everything's easy. And I'm like, no, it's important to show that things aren't always easy. There's challenges that come along with anything you do. Oh, meaning that you got to MIT, so everything should have been cake from there? Right. They're like, oh, you're super smart. You went to MIT. And I'm like, yeah, but I still had difficulties when I was there. People always are like, oh, I don't want to do math and science because it's too hard. And that's why I'm like, well, I failed a class and I still got a PhD. So... 
<laughs> well, no success story doesn't have like some failures along the way, right? right. That you're going to learn from. I mean, but I think it's important that people talk about it, right? And, mm. and that's the feedback that I've gotten a lot is that they like the, oh, you talked about that. And that's what I like about the documentary because we're all talking about different challenges and mm-hmm. and how did we persevere through that? And being real and vulnerable and just actually speaking the truth about your journey. That's the hard part. <laughs> that is the hard part. You know, sometimes you hold back and then it always feels better to just to just lay out the full story. Yeah. Because as you said, I think that that's where the learning occurs and the growth that you're helping with the next generation to achieve. Right. And that's a part of what you're doing. I know that you believe there's a a need to increase diversity when it comes to women in STEM, women of color in STEM. So why is that important to you? And what are you doing to try to improve the numbers? It's important to me because when you talk about engineering and science and and solving the next grand challenges and things like that, engineering is all about problem solving. And in order to do that, you need to have a variety of voices at the table, right? A a diverse Mm -hmm. set of players to solve the problem. If everyone in the room looks the same, they have the same experiences, how can you really come up with a full solution? So true. And so that's why to me, it's very important. And then if you look at the statistics of people that are coming out with these higher degrees, a lot of them are in Black women. But the issue is that they're not matriculating, right? Mm. So they're dropping out of STEM fields because they don't feel heard, because they don't feel supported. And so for me, that's that's been my biggest thing is you have a voice and how, how can we empower each other? Like I said, with Marina and Jamie, it's a similar thing. Like, okay, if we're having this difficulty at our job, how do we help the other person? What do you see that I'm not seeing? And, and vice versa. I think having these networks is important. And that goes back to the next generation, right? They need to be able to see people in these positions of leadership or what have you to feel empowered to do the same thing. I think that's very true. And we do have more opportunities, I think, for girls to get into the STEM fields, but maybe we're not necessarily giving them enough support once they're there to stay the course. Right. I mean, I can give just a small example. In my case, like my daughters, I have two. One is studying biology in college in the fall, and I'm really excited for her. She told me later on, like not the beginning, but that she was a little uncomfortable in some of her science classes because she felt outnumbered. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with my 13-year-old who took a robotics class and Mm. was doing some coding. She used the word intimidated. And it's like, Mm -hmm. how do we get past that? Because the numbers aren't necessarily even at this point. So how do we support girls in that? What advice would you give to people trying to make their dream career happen? Because that's usually how I kind of wrap this podcast. You know, we listen to a great story like yours and we're inspired and we hear about changes you made, pivots, you know, from pastry chef to nuclear engineer. But how can we kind of translate that into something that a listener can apply who maybe she or he is just not quite there in terms of launching their dream job? I think there's a couple of things. I think you have to be flexible, number one, in order to make those pivots. You also have to kind of figure out what you're passionate about. I think that for me was a very important part of my entire journey. Yeah. I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to do mentorship and things like that. So 
I had this drive of what I know that there's not many of us in the field. So in the times where I wanted to give up, I knew, you know, there's a, there's other people that are counting on me to do this for people coming behind me. So I think you do have to know what you're passionate about. Yeah. You have to have confidence too at some point, which that takes time and that takes experience in order to gain that. But I think that's another big thing that people don't talk about as much is that in a lot of these situations where you are outnumbered or intimidated, that's where your confidence is going to come in and help push you over the threshold. Totally. Do you think you'll be doing more in terms of like this documentary? How did you get involved in it, by the way? What their push is, is for to inspire the next generation of girls in STEM. Got it. And so they picked 125 women, all different fields of engineering and science, and they brought us all together. They have an online collection, all of these things. And so that's how I ultimately got paired up with Christine and Generous Films for mm. the series. So 3M, they were doing this state of science index study. And 3M and the film producers came together and AAAS was in the room and was like, oh, we have this ambassador program and we know some great people. And so that's how I got involved. And they loved you. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> I mean, just stop selling yourself short. You're obviously very good on camera and cool. I mean, I'm just saying I could see this being something you could continue doing in some capacity uh, if you wanted to. I, You know... People say that, but I really like my job. (laughs) You want to be in the lab. (laughs) Well, we need your brain in the lab too, so (laughs) we don't want to stretch you too thin. So if people want to stream the documentary, where are the best places to go? Is it on Netflix? It's on Apple TV and Google Play. All right. Awesome. And if we want to catch up with you, can we follow you on social? What about everything that relates to you? I am on social media. I'm on Instagram, although I don't post a lot on there. It's not so much your thing. I hear you. You know, know, you're just slightly busy and it is a major time suck. I get it. But speaking of which, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So Dr. Sierra Seffles, it was such a pleasure. It was really inspiring. I want my daughters to listen to this podcast and I know they're going to love it. And I think what you're doing is really important work. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for having me. All right. Great to have you. Take care. So this is episode 25 of my podcast. Very exciting. Don't forget to leave me a review, rate the show, share it, all that good stuff. You know where to find me at Bucket List Careers on Instagram and Facebook. And you can tweet me or DM me at Crystal on Twitter. I will have more for you next Wednesday. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.